in the history of mankind, who is the biggest traitor? Is it Judas, Brutus, Major Grant from Die Hard 2, or Matt Hummels? Actually, I've got a fifth one to uh, propose here. Hello and welcome to a warm and fuzzy One Football podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Uh, now, unless you've been stuck in a cave in Mars with your finger in your ears, the reason for the warm fuzziness today's podcast will be obvious to you. Last night saw a magnificent triumph for Leicester as native son Mark Selby defeated China's Ding Huanhe 1814 to win the World Snooker Championship. Selby was in front throughout Sunday and went into yesterday's final session leading 14-11 before he held off a three-frame comeback from Ding to claim his second world title and surely take his place among the greats of the game. Makes you weak at the knees, doesn't it? Here to discuss that and any other incidental triumphs for the city of Leicester last night is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Danny Isroff. Good morning. And interrupting his busy days of riding around Berlin on his pink bike looking for old cassettes, it's Ryan Kent. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Paddy, last night, where did we start with it all? Probably not with the darts. Probably, (laughs) it was snooker. Snooker, whatever, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's uh, let's put aside the snooker for the moment and let's talk about Leicester. They're finally champions of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Um, I think you could see the... um, the reaction that you could you could get from social media really illustrated what a what a huge triumph this is. Um, I think there's a lot of people who have um, who do feel a bit sorry for for Tottenham. Um, it, was, it was of course their result with Chelsea last night that that handed the title to Leicester. Um, but you, you can't begrudge Leicester either, unless you're a Spurs fan, of course. But it was just an incredible achievement. They've done everything they needed to do. Um, they won the tight ones. You know, it wasn't always done in a in a great style. Um, they probably had a dose of luck along the way, but all champions need that for for a season as long as this as well. So it's a it's a terrific achievement. And just football aside, I think it's such a wonderful human story. You know, I was on the train on the way back home last night after uh, covering the game. By the way, anyone who's listening should follow uh, One Football across all social media. Um, <laughs> after uh, nice after, plug. after there we go. After covering the game, and I just had the most brilliant um, feeling, sort of high on life, that that I could do anything and that anything was possible. And I think they've really. Uh, they they really will have inspired a lot of people in that way, just to show that, you know, kind of even when all the chips are stacked against you, and 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 it seems like you can never triumph. That that if you come together and and hard work and all those things, you you, you really anything is possible. I think it's terrific. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you know, it's kind of a once in a generation kind of story. Um, I think the last time something like this happened, and it's not even really really comparable because of the money they had at the time was Blackburn Rovers in '95. Um, Leicester, you know, they have no money. You look at their best players of the season: Vardy, Mraz. Mraz cost what four hundred thousand euros. Vardy, I'm not quite sure, but he was playing in the non-league like four or five years ago. Yeah, it's it's crazy to be honest. It's funny that you speak about money because I was reading a stat today that. Over the last, I think it's the last two seasons, Man United have spent more money on transfers and their manager than Leicester have in the entirety of their history. That's incredible. That is incredible, isn't it? I mean, you look at, I think the estimations of Leicester's squad um, range from, I think, 22 million to 39 million pounds. Um, And yeah, you look at what some of the bigger teams have spent on one player alone in the last couple of seasons. It just pales in comparison. Does anybody have a favourite story from the entire season? 
I can tell you mine to get you started if you like. Yeah, it's a good start. I think, okay. Yeah. When um, Leicester were playing Norwich earlier in this season, uh, Ushua scored a last-minute uh, winner for them, and the reaction in Leicester was so great that it caused an earthquake. It's pretty hard uh, to top that one, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, is yeah. that actually true? Then that is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, <laughs> this, you know, the Leicester scientists were yeah. on the case reading the Richter scale or whatever it is they do, and yeah, they found out. I think it was like a really small one. It wasn't like you know yeah. causing fissures to crack open in the earth or anything like that. But you know, yeah. an earthquake's an earthquake. You can expect in about nine months that the population of, of Leicester as well might increase by a few <laughs> thousand. Um, and I can bet the, baby, the babies will be called Jamie and Riyadh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the only thing about. Um, this whole Leicester winning the league thing, the only negative aspect I think was that they didn't do it on their own terms. Like They had to wait for Tottenham to not get the three points last night for them to be champions. And, you know, it's kind of sad in a way. Um, but I think the party on Saturday at Everton is going to be uh, pretty incredible. What has been forgotten in all of this lovely Leicester title talk is that with the fights, the tackles, the 11 yellow cards, the eye gouging, the managers on the pitch, the Chelsea comeback, Eden Hazard and Cesc Fabregas remembering that they can play football, we'd quite the game on our hands last night, didn't we? Maybe the best game of the season. Yeah, I think I said to you guys before the start, it's 100% going to be the game of the season, and it was, to be honest. It had everything, you know, high tempo from the start, like 11, 12 yellow, yellow cards, was it? 11, yeah. Yeah, Diego Costa getting his eye gouged out, which is one of my favourite bits. <laughs> Um, Somebody pointed out on Twitter that when he got his jersey pulled, he acted like he'd been eye gouged. But when he'd been eye gouged, he'd acted like he'd had his jersey pulled. <laughs> it sounds like Costa all over. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it's not. It wasn't. It's probably a bit embarrassing from Tottenham, to be honest. I think they would wake up this morning and think that they may have, you know, really lost their cool a little bit. I think Chelsea got under their skins during the week. And it was just strange seeing guys who previously sort of looked at as, as very honest fellas like Dembele and Lamella really going down the old 90s Premier League, uh, you know, sorry, you know, 90s English days like Vinnie Jones and stuff like that. It was it was a little bit embarrassing. It was great to watch, but I think I think Spurs fans might be a little bit disappointed with their conduct. Well, it's funny that you mentioned this because when I was thinking about it, it was really entertaining to watch. Brilliant, great, brilliant game in that respect. But the quality was low and it led me to think that it sort of reflected how this season has. It's been entertaining, but in terms of the Premier League, I think it's been, in quality terms, I think it's been one of the worst Premier Leagues for, for quite some time. Like we've known, let me make my case before I know you're all, you're all, you're all excited to jump on it, but let, let me make my case. We've all known for some time that Leicester are going to win the league. There's really been not a huge amount of tension over the title. I, I, yeah, I disagree with that, but yeah. continue. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Chelsea have been woeful beyond belief. They've been terrible for the entire season. And it's a damning it's a damning indictment on those players that they could play like that last night. Like, why weren't they playing like that for the rest of the season? Anyway, another point. Arsenal just need to hang their heads in shame. They've been terrible, really terrible. This has been one of the worst Man United teams we've ever seen, yet they could still end up in the Champions League. Stoke have been on the beach since the start of April. They had three 4-0 defeats in a row. Ridiculous. Before, they, before the, the draw with um, Sunderland. Spurs, who everybody has lauded as absolutely brilliant, have drawn 13 times against West Brom, Stoke, Everton teams. They should be beating. And that's that's cost them the title. Aston Villa are going to get in as one of the worst Premier League teams ever. Really? 
the I, best Premier League season ever that people are making out? I'm not so sure. I think, you know, there's a couple of things you sort of said there. First of all, you said the quality, and that's something that's I think we can discuss probably, you know, um, for the next 30 years. It's a bit hard to discern. But there's there's also a lot of people saying that this is the worst Premier League, you know, which is an overarching concept that I absolutely reject out of hand. I think um, I got a lot more interested in this campaign than I did those ones recently where Chelsea and, and United just meandered over the line to to become champions. This was a this was a season that got people talking. Um, a lot of people had become sick of the Premier League, I think, because it's yes, it's all you know, it's got the big stars, but it's always about the money and it's always about mate, basically whoever spends the most you know, wins. Um, whereas this is a season that just turned all those theories on their heads. And I think that's why a lot of people got um, excited about this romantic story with, with Leicester. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can point at the fact that they still have spent some money, but it, it is something that has changed, I think, the way that people look at the Premier League. Well, first of all, I want to agree with Paddy on that, that last point. I think the from an entertainment perspective, it's been the best Premier League season in a, in, in a long time. And I think, moreover, the, the Premier League and football more generally needed this. They needed this season Correct. to uh, restore people's faith in, in, in the game in lots of ways. And then I want to revisit the, the quality discussion as well. I think it's, it's kind of, uh, there's no debate that the top teams are worse than they've been in a, in a long team. But I think the overall uh, quality of the Premier League and the, 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 the quality of the average Premier League team, I think, has never been higher. And I think that's partially contributed to the fact that the top teams are, aren't as good as they were perhaps a couple of seasons ago. I mean, you have uh, mid-table teams now uh, signing you know, players of international repute. But that's just, you, that's more you, of a money thing. You have well, and uh, but it's a it's a it's a contributing factor. I think you have six or seven teams at the top now, all fighting for the same players. So of course they're going to be individually. You're going to have teams that are that are slightly weaker than the you know the great English teams we saw at the at the end of the two thousands or or whatever. But the the even Aston Villa, Aston Villa are the worst team in the Premier League by 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 a mile. They're they're terrible. They're one of the worst teams. Uh, I think points-wise in in Premier League history, that team is full of international players, and it just wasn't the case 20 years ago that the bottom team in the Premier League was, uh, you know, stacked on paper at least, with uh, you know, with you know, Colombia internationals, with Ghana internationals, with USA internationals. So uh, I think the argument that the quality has dropped overall that that just uh, it, it I'm not having that. I see your point about it, but I still think the money is a very important factor in that. Like, Gabby Agbon Lahore, Villa captain, is getting paid 50000 a week. Like, Villa can afford this now because of the massive TV deals that have come through. Yeah, and I totally agree. But it's again, it comes now down to a bit more about management and, and how Leicester have managed their finances compared to Aston Villa. That's the difference. You know, when you're buying someone like Mares for 400000 or buying, you know, or paying... Agbon Lahore, you know, um, almost half of that a week. You know, it's it's crazy to compare those two stories. So, um, money doesn't buy you anything, and and particularly when you've got more of it than you've got sense. And and I think that's the difference with Leicester. Well, it certainly doesn't buy team spirit, which is what Leicester Absolutely. have by the bucket loads. Um, while we're talking about this, and we probably should have mentioned earlier, a kind word about Claudio Ranieri. Yeah, I mean, terrific, isn't it? He looks like the uncle that you'd want. You know. And at the end, I, I'll be honest, I had my reservations about 
Leicester, about cheering for Leicester. I mean, it's a fantastic story, mostly because I'm a little... Uh, I, I have one or two personal concerns with, with Vardy and his, his history. But what did it for me was Ranieri. Uh, in the end, I just you cannot help but root for the guy. He's just such a great um, story. seems like just such a great guy that, that for him to have uh, this kind of success so late in his career is, is fantastic. Think, especially like following his Greece um, management, I think they finished bottom of the group in the Euro qualifiers. And I think when he was announced as the Leicester manager, I immediately said, you know, Leicester, bottom of the league, completely relegated and, and what he's done with the club it's like magnificent and I think what Paddy said before the league needed this it needed some freshness like if Tottenham finished second this season it's the first um, time since the start of the Premier League in 92-93 that there have been two clubs that have finished first and second for the first time and not since 97 I think that um, I think United, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, or Chelsea have finished in the top two. That is nice. Yeah, I think it was Newcastle. So, yeah. and then just one quick last point on Ranieri. I think he'd become a, a figure of, you know, uh, ridicule in, in a way as well. You know, he'd had a lot of failures, um, more failures and successes um, in recent years. And you know, I mean, even going back to his Chelsea days, still known as the Tinkerman. You know, um, so it was. Something that was, uh, I guess, a personal achievement, but you look at the way he took it in his, stri- his stride too, you know, he's still very humble, um, you know, there was a, the video of when they showed um, a lot of the local Leicester, um, you know, public sort of talking about what he'd meant and what he'd done um, for the city, and uh, you could see that it really meant a lot to him, so it's a, that's a great story. Lovely. Well, that's one question answered over whether or not this was a decent Premier League season. I do have another question for all of you, though. In the history of mankind, who is the biggest traitor? Is it Judas, Brutus, Major Grant from Die Hard 2, or Mats Hummels? Actually, I've got a fifth one to uh, propose here when we're talking about betrayal. Um, Ian McCourt would, might, be a, might be one we could throw in the hat here because, uh, you know, for those of us uh, in the group, of course, we're all in a WhatsApp group at work and... Um, Let's just say, for those listening, it's good that you're not in the group because um, if you do like Game of Thrones, then Ian will have a great time spoiling the biggest twists for you. Can I just say something? Ian McCourt is the greatest spoiler in, of mankind yeah. ever. Are you, why don't you just tell us who's going to win the Champions League, Ian? Well, I'd love to know and that. Who's, who's winning the Premier League next year? Well, How, how's the world going to end? In my, in my, can you tell us? In my defence, in my defence, what happened? What happened in our WhatsApp group last night was I shared a video on um, from Instagram of Mario Mario Goethe. First of all, spoiler alert, Game of Thrones fans, if you haven't seen the latest episode, skip forward thirty seconds. Please continue. Mario Goethe was celebrating something and he looked, let's say, unusual in his celebration. And I decided this would be a fun thing to share with our WhatsApp group without even reading any of the hashtags or anything that went with it. And I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I've, I've no idea what it's about. And, you know... <laughs> People didn't quite react in the way I thought they would. I actually have read that out, um, you know, on you know, word for word, sort of as as it sort of popped up. So we're not going to we're not going to spoil it. No, here, no, and no. then okay. and then spoiled it for two other people within earshot <laughs> as well. So this is like you you flick the domino that ruined everybody's episode of Game of Thrones this week. So okay. let's just go back to that initial question when we're talking about betrayal. Yeah, you are the worst, mm. even was, worse than Matt Thomas. I was kind of worried this morning that the atmosphere in work would be a bit sour. Well, I, I had to apologise to Paddy. 
I was a man about it, you know, I apologised. You didn't apologise to me. I apologised to you when we were walking over. Fair enough, fair enough. I I don't feel so bad. But um, let's get back to Matt Tumbles for a second, because that was what the real answer to the question was. Paddy, cast your imagination to a parallel universe where you live in the North Rhine, Westphalia. You're a Dortmund fan. How are you feeling right about now? Uh, definitely, you know, to continue the theme of betrayal, I can certainly, um, yeah, I can certainly see how a lot of these Dortmund fans feel like they Maybe do. for those who've missed out, you could just break down what's happened over the last few days with Thomas. Yeah, of course. Um, um, it, it's, it's clear that he's, uh, keen to leave Borussia Dortmund. Um, and, uh, from all reports and from, uh, the way that, that, uh, Dortmund themselves have handled it, it's become clear that he's, um, designated Bayern Munich as uh, the club that he wants to end up at. Uh, a club that he's obviously got uh, history in, came up through the youth. His uh, father was a youth uh, youth team coach there as well. Um, was deemed not up to it by Klinsmann at the time and, and moved to Borussia Dortmund where, of course, he's had quite a lot of success, risen to captain, um, has really sort of emphasised, and I think this is where it comes down to, um, has emphasised the... the um, the rivalry with Bayern over the last couple of seasons. Um, he's been very um, upfront with his feelings about uh, some of his teammates that have left Dortmund uh, to go to Bayern. Uh, guys like Götze, in, you know, in particular, uh, Lewandowski a little bit as well, but that's a it's a different story. And I think that's where the, the key point of this is. No one at Dortmund would begrudge uh, Mats Hummels for departing and and trying to you know, win trophies and win the Champions League. But to go back to Bayern Munich, especially after the things he said in the past, that is the thing that truly sticks in the core. And the fans didn't take too well to it at the weekend. No, it was booed um, by a, 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 a small section, but um, a very... Uh, prominent section at least you could hear it um, very well through the through the um for the speakers and uh i think he was probably disappointed he handled it quite well as you would expect Hummels to do so he still sort of said it's it's only 51 percent um likely that he might join bayern but i think we all know better to be honest so two points here the first one and maybe patty you can help with this why, why does it seem to me that this stuff is done so publicly in germany that they can't just say you know, I, I don't know what the future holds. We'll decide in the summer. We'll decide after the years. It seems like every time there's this whole big hullabaloo around around it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dortmund uh, try to play it this way as well. Um, Dortmund are a club that really does put a lot of um, uh, importance on um, keeping the fans up to date and enlightened. But there's also the um, the shareholder uh, element right. here. And, right. of course, um, with uh, you know German uh, clubs being owned, by and large, by at least 51% of the fans, um, then they do have to disclose major transactions um, you know, when they look like they're going to occur. So it's a little bit of a combination of that. Yeah. Sure. And then just to get back to the issue of betrayal with Hummels, I'm, I'm going to try and defend him here. And I think uh, Paddy, Paddy sort of hit the nail on the head. I think people would be a lot more uh, accepting of his decision, a lot more open to it if he hadn't been so vocal Correct. about his, uh, his, his criticism of players in the past. What I'm going to say is it's very different to sit there as a, a, a 23-year-old, uh, you know, when, when your team's doing well and your whole career is ahead of you and, and criticize players for, for, for making decisions about, about their futures. Uh, as you get older, I think it becomes, uh, you know, time is sort of closing, closing in on you and it becomes uh, a, a lot more difficult. You have to make uh, difficult decisions, and I, I, I'm pretty sure he regrets now what he what, what he yeah. said in the past, and I, I think his his take on it is probably very different. 
ultimately uh, players have to look out for their own careers. You only get one career. And, uh, it, you know, everything makes so much sense for him to go back to Bayern. I don't think he could have uh, feasibly decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay at Dortmund, probably not win the Champions League, you know, probably not have as good a career as I could. I, I don't think he could have done that. Danny, as somebody who played at a reasonably high level, what would people inside, what would the players inside the dressing room be feeling towards Hummels now? So, so obviously the, the, the feelings would differ. I would say, uh, and this might come as a, a surprise to some, I would say from, for, for the majority of players, uh, they understand that idea that you only have one, one chance at your career and that ultimately you have to look out for your career ahead of any loyalties to clubs. I think they're, they're, they're few and far between the players who will uh, put uh, a club that they love over their own career. Um, and, and most players sort of understand that he's going to get a few studs in his ankles next season when, when Bayern play, play Dortmund a few elbows in the face. That's all part of the fun. Uh, exactly, especially from, from the guys who have a real, uh, a real connection to Dortmund. Um, but, but I think ultimately, uh, you know, and fans sort of have this wonderful illusion that, that players love their clubs, and I think they do. But, but, but uh, like I've been saying, they, they have to look out for their own careers. And it's like any other industry in lots of ways. When, when you have the chance to, uh, you know, to go somewhere else and, and do something potentially greater, you just have to take it. Wednesday night sees Manchester City travel to the Santiago Bernabeu to take on Real Madrid uh, with City looking to make their first ever Champions League final. Dan Burke of Typical City joins us to talk about that. Dan, before we get into all of that Champions League jazz, maybe a word or two about the defeat to Southampton on Sunday. Was it the worst performance under Manuel Pellegrini as many have been claiming it to be? Um, I don't know. It, it was it was the worst of many, I think. To be honest with you, I mean, we've it was the the sixth time this season we've had a game like that where we've we've been absolutely thrashed, and it's um, it was very disappointing to see. Um, I think a lot of it pro- probably had to do with the fact that uh, he rested players for the the Champions League game coming up. Um, I think nine of the eleven players that played on Sunday uh, won't play on on Wednesday night, um, so it was it was clearly his, his second string. Um, I think that had a lot to do with it. But I was a, a firm advocate of him, of him resting players for the Champions League game, um, and I thought that the team that he played was was quite a, a decent team that was perhaps capable enough of getting a draw against Southampton. And it was just so disappointing to be four one down with twenty five minutes of the game to go. Um, and as I say, it's, it's not the first time that's happened this season, and that's been the real disappointment of this season, this final season under Manuel Pellegrini, that we've had so many games where we've just been second best, really. Is that a result of players kind of taking their eye off the ball, or are they focusing elsewhere? I mean, what, what's what's been the reasons behind that? Um, it's difficult to say. I mean, there's been a lot of games when we've 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 been beaten um, considerably badly, um, and the Pellegrini's tactics just haven't looked great. I mean, you look at Sunday, we th- there was acres of space between the back four and the midfield at all times. And the fullbacks were pushing too high up the pitch, leaving the, the back two exposed. Um, it, it's just been a, a bit of a calamitous season in, in the Premier League, really. And, and this was the latest latest chapter in that, really. The Champions League um, has been a lot more positive for for City, however. And Vincent Company was talking the other day, and he he seemed adamant that City can progress. And uh, Pellegrini said Madrid are not the favourites. Do you share their confidence? 
Um, I am still reasonably confident, actually, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the fact that we um, we managed to get through the first leg last week, um, although we didn't win the game, we, we drew nil-nil and, and Real Madrid failed to get that away goal, so that could be very vital. I mean, going into this game, all, we, all City need to do is... Uh, get a score draw from the game and the through. Um, it's going to be a big ask and it's going to require a monumental effort, but it's certainly possible. Um, I don't know if we're the favourites, but but like I say, a score draw will be fine and, and that's certainly a possibility. Um, I think you just have to have to look at the game and, and hopefully the players that didn't play on Sunday, will, the likes of Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne, will, will step up to the plate. Um, Real Madrid have got a really good record this season in the Champions League at home in terms of, I don't think they've conceded a single goal there, so it's going to be very difficult for City, but... Um, yeah, I certainly think it's a possibility and I'm certainly still reasonably hopeful that we can do it. Who do you see as the key man for City tomorrow night? Is it De Bruyne in attack, Aguero, or will it be company? And also, who do you see playing alongside company? Because Otamendi started the first leg but had a nightmare against Southampton. Will it be Mangala or will, will he keep on? Will he keep his trust in Otamendi? I think he'll probably go with Otamendi. Um, as you say, he had a very good game against Real Madrid. Um, he's, he's been very inconsistent all season, but when he's been good, he looks like a really good player. Um, so I think he'll probably go with him. Um, Mangala as well, he's a player who, who sort of has patches of good form and then patches where he, he doesn't look like a footballer at all. So it's um, it, it's a little bit of less of a risk to play Otamendi, in my opinion, and, and that's why I think he'll probably go with him. Um, I think Vincent Company is going to be extremely important and we've looked like a completely different team, especially defensively when he's played this season. Um, so hopefully, you know, he, he's not going to um, struggle with that, cut, that problematic calf of him at any point and he can play a full game at, at full intensity. Um, I think the players you mentioned, Kevin De Bruyne and, and Sergio Aguero, are going to be extremely important. Um, that they're the two best attacking players in City squad and um, that's why I think it was it was a good idea of Manuel Pellegrini to give those two a rest at the weekend because they're going to be need to be on the game uh, if we're going to score the, uh, the away goal that we need. Dan, just looking ahead a little bit to next season with uh, Pep Guardiola coming in, think things should be looking up for City. Uh, who do they need to bring in in terms of personnel? What do you feel like ha- has been missing this season? Uh, that 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 city can can do to to turn their fortunes around definitely in the league next year. Um, I think a central midfielder is going to be the key. Um, we've been linked with uh, players like Il- Ilkay Gundogan, and I think he'd be a superb signing for City. We definitely need someone in midfield, uh, a real intelligent ball playing midfielder. Um, I know he's a player that Pep's a big admirer of. So um, if that deal does happen, uh, as 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 has been rumoured for a long time now, um, I think that'd be a very good signing. Um, I think we need to, to bring in some quality throughout the squad, really. Um, a right-back, a left-back, uh, probably a new centre-back, um, maybe um, a new goalkeeper to, to challenge Joe Hart for the number one jersey, and possibly even an, another striker. So I think I think a few players are going to have to come in and to, to bring a little bit of extra quality into the squad. Dan, we, we spoke to David Mooney a few weeks back um, you know, about um, Guardiola. It was a bit fresher at that point. Um, he sort of mentioned uh, David's, David Silva might be someone whose place might be under threat. Do you think he's, he's capable of playing under Guardiola? And who, who else do you think maybe might be, um, you know, I suppose, destined to exit when, when the Spaniard comes in? Yeah, I think um, I think David Silva. Uh, there's definitely a question mark over his future. Um, he started the season really well, and then he got an injury around uh, sort of October, November time, and he's never really recovered from that from that problem. Um, I think he has problems with his ankles, which he's he's been playing through the pain for a number of years now. Um, whether that's something that can be can be fixed or whether it's a terminal problem um, remains to be seen. But 
you know, a lot of people look at uh, the way Pep likes to play, the sort of high pressure intensity way that he likes to set his teams up and, and David Silva doesn't really fit into that. So I think there's a lot of concern about whether he might leave in the summer. Um, but, it, but you know, if that's what Pep wants to do, then, then everyone understands. Um, I think a player who's almost certain for the exit door is going to be Yaya Torre. Um, I think his, his best years are behind him now. Um, he probably should have left the club maybe last summer, if not the summer before, really. So, um, although it'll be sad to see him go because he's been a great player for us over the years, I think his time's probably up now. Um, there are lots of players throughout the squad who, who could potentially leave in the summer. Players like Pablo Zabaleta, who again has been a great servant to the club, but he just doesn't look like he's he's quite there, to, quite quite able to play at the top level anymore. Um, Alexander Kolarov, I think there's a possibility that one of uh, Elikun Mangala or Nicolas Otamendi could leave in the summer. So maybe quite a few. Company. So, yeah, there could, there could be a lot of chopping and changing over the summer, yeah. Okay, before we let you go, can we get a final score prediction from you? Uh, I'm going to be optimistic and I think it'll be a one-all draw which will see us go through and away goals. Dan seems confident that City can go through. Do you share his confidence? I think a lot depends on Ronaldo. Um, the the latest is that it looks like he will uh, play um, but I think if he doesn't uh, it's a completely different story and I, th- I think then it's open for City if he plays I'm confident that Real Madrid will, will go through perhaps not ultimately convincing but still them I think Madrid are the better side they'll go through yeah I agree they've got the home advantage and I think they'll be kind of spurred on by the fact that they may play the City rivals in the final so oh, yeah, it's a good question who else is going to be playing who, who are they going to face in the final should they make it Atleti <laughs> yeah um, hard to disagree with Danny um, but Casper yeah. was talking last week and he was sure that, that Bayern were going to score three goals against it's him it's going to be a riveting match I think Casper's yeah. a little biased <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to go with Paddy you're going with Atleti I am yep Madrid Derby in the final yeah. and Ryan yeah sentimentality I go for the Madrid replay Oh, yes. Uh, personally, I don't think it's that good, but that's my personal opinion. But in Toronto, it's uh, it's actually huge news. Really big news. Yeah, you, you would think, but I don't know. A lot of people like it, especially with the, their basketball teams doing well, and he's the ambassador for that. Yeah. He's always on their sideline cheering. But, you know, he's paid by them. Oh, he's paid by them yeah, to cheer? Yeah, he's a global funny. ambassador. It's really yeah. What a douche. It's almost hilarious to see him on the sideline. Okay, yeah, it is, a bit, it is a bit hilarious, all right. Last week saw Juventus claim their latest Scudetto. On the line to talk about this is Gregory Caltabanis of Italian Football Daily. Gregory, I've seen this described as one of the greatest comebacks in the history of Italian football. Maybe you could explain why. Uh, well, definitely, I agree with you there. The team started off extremely poorly, lost some key faces in the off-season, as we all know with Vidal, Tevez and Pirlo, replaced them with young players uh, such as Dybala, and at first, it was the team, they were just not blending in with the other veterans of the team. After the 10th round, they were in 12th place, 11 points back of league leaders at Roma. And just looking back at it, it's actually quite funny how far behind they were. And in order to win this fifth consecutive title, they had to win 25 out of their last 26 games just to put things into perspective. So as a whole, yes, yeah, so it's definitely one of the best comebacks in Italian history. And just proves how good they are compared to, say, the rest of the league. Even Napoli, who had a great season. And even though some may say Napoli bottled it, 
I think it's really harsh to say that, considering Juve did take 25 out of the last 26 games. What was what was the turning point in this season? Was it that loss to Sassuolo or the the scruffy win in the Derby della Mole back in late October uh, when Quadrado bundled the ball over the line? I think it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. After the Sassuolo loss, Buffon told the fans, uh, he looked at the stands and said, be patient, give us time, we're going to get there. And get there they did. Then, of course, uh, Allegri subs on Alexandro in like the 87th minute of the Derby de la Mole. He finds Cuadrado, who just slides it in. And from there, the whole season changed. So the atmosphere in the club changed. And suddenly you got the feeling that the players believed that the comeback was not only possible, but they were actually going to do it. So overall, I think you have to say that the turning point was probably the derby, but at the same time, that loss against Asuolo really woke up the team. Gregory, there was a very brief moment in the season um, when Allegri was actually under quite a bit of pressure. How close do you think it was to him actually being sacked? Uh, I don't think he was ever close to being sacked for the simple reason that Juventus's management is the type to have a lot of patience with their managers, especially I believe that this last season that him bringing the team to the Champions League final gave him a lot of leeway. The only way that he possibly could have faced the sack is if perhaps they didn't find themselves in Champions League places late in the season. And given the fact that he turned it around so quickly after the, te- the first 10 games and the fact that the team were performing in the Champions League, I don't think he was ever on the hot seat as it was being reported. Uh, Juventus, of course, take on Milan in the Coppa Italia final next month. Uh, Rigo Sacchi was talking recently and described the gap between the two sides as embarrassing. Uh, for those who haven't been t- tuning into the fortunes and the mess that Milan have become, could you maybe give us a, a brief history, a brief recent history of Milan and where it's gone wrong? Yeah. So Milan, right now, it's a club in disarray. The management, Galliani and Berlusconi, often go against what the fans want, often go against what is actually logical in terms <laughs> of transfers, in terms of uh, sponsorship deals, and in terms of uh, stadiums. And after uh, Milan lost to Juve, which was kind of expected given the differing fortunes of the club, they sacked Mihailovic, which a lot of fans and pundits didn't agree with because Mihailovic finally gave the team a bit of an identity in the past few months, even if they did struggle in his last three or four games. So then they brought in Christian Brocchi, a manager who was relatively unproven, and the results are now showing it because... After his first initial win, he has yet to pick up a win. And on the weekend, they tied Frosinone, a relegation team, uh, 3-3. So, and then there was reports from their shareholders meeting that uh, that the shareholders required plenty of change. And Berlusconi and Gailani basically told them that it wasn't coming. And just to make things worse, there are now reports that they are handing Ricardo Montolivo a new three-year deal after potentially one of his worst seasons of his career, which rubs me the wrong way as they let Andrea Pirlo go for the simple reason that he wanted a three-year deal that they're now offering to Montolivo. And going to the Coppa Italia final, it doesn't look good for them. Their only bright spot this season was the fact that a 16-year-old, now 17, Gianluigi Donnarumma did break through. So, But overall, not looking good for 
the Milan right now. Just to return to the question of ownership for a second, there have been rumors in recent weeks that uh, of potential foreign investment coming coming from China. Yeah, is is that maybe the only way forward for Milan? I wouldn't say only way forward, but at the same time, Berlusconi and Galliani do look like they have lost the plot, and that a new a change is needed. And I think most Milan fans would agree that Jack Ma, the Chinese businessman of Ali uh, Baba, would be a very welcome change as he would not only inject uh, wealth into the team, but he would inject some new ideas. Because right now, Galliani and Berlusconi seem intent on their ways, even if they are clearly not working. So I'm sure uh, that is something that may come to fruition in the coming weeks. But given the past and all the rumors of Milan selling, Milan not selling, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't happen. With this huge gap between uh, Juventus, the, the, the Milan clubs uh, both struggling, yeah. uh, when is the next time we will see a team not named Juventus uh, win the Scudetto? It's not going to happen next season, is it? <laughs> it, uh, it really depends on the transfer windows of all the clubs. But at the, uh, right now, Juventus are so far ahead the rest of Italy that if it is someone that's not Juve winning the title... It basically has to be Napoli, a team under Sari who have had a great year. They, we, are, we must not forget that they are in their first year under Maritza Sari, so they are still a very young team. If they, are mani- if they manage to keep hold of Higuain, add a few key pieces, notably another center back, potentially a center mid, and maybe a, uh, another uh, player in the final third to complement him, potentially they could go all the way next year and go to the wire again. But at the same time, there are reports that Juve are strengthening with Cavani, with um, players all over the shop. And right now, it doesn't look good for the rest of Italy unless they have big summer campaigns and really bolster their side considerably compared to what they have right now. Uh, It's sad to see a club like Milan in such disarray, isn't it? it's almost like like football has passed them by like they're stuck in another era I mean you can't just hire popular players as your manager here in in, in 2016 you know football's too too advanced for that these days the the stakes are too high and uh, you really see what happens with with poor direction and and poor leadership and they keep going back to sign old players too like they went back and they bought Kaká they bought Balotelli Balotelli situations a disaster the fans don't want him there no one wants him there he's not performing and it looks like uh, what what I've read recently, they're going to keep him again for try keep him for next season. Yeah, you reap what you sow. I think um, a lot of those signings you just mentioned were made at the time because they probably were trying to curry a bit of favour from the fans, and particularly the Bellatelli one hasn't turned out. You read now, I think that Pellegrini is their number one you know target for the for the coach next year. Who would want to? You know, Pellegrini seems too smart to take that poison chalice, to be honest. Oh, there you have it. That's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Danny, Ryan, Gregory, Dan, and our producer, Damien. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and while you're there, you might as well download the OneFootball app too. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud at OneFootball. Bye. Bye.